Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all and welcome to For What It's Earth with me, Marissa of the Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This week, we'll focus on a summertime favorite, beaches. But primarily, we'll talk about how plants and animals are specially adapted and suited for life on these sandy beaches. In the summertime, one of my absolute favorite things is going to the beach and getting a big whiff of salty air in green salt marshes. I love the look of a white beach with green plants and a blue sky and blue ocean. It's the best. In fact, one of my favorite photos that I've ever taken, you can find it in my shop online, is of that very scene taken on a walk down to a beach on a quiet section of Brigantine Island. My walks up and down the beach with my toes in the sand and my head on a swivel looking for shells, skate egg cases, and exploring the grasses and plant life to see what animals may be hiding in the shelter that those plants provide, those are some of my favorite summertime memories. But how do those plants in a sandy, salty, windy beach even survive? As a girl who grew up in the Pocono Mountains, it seems so amazing that plants can grow without rich, dark, organic soil and consistent access to fresh water. As a gardener, it seems even more amazing that these plants can thrive in salty environments. In the winter, when all of the plows come and dump salt along the roads, this can have an impact on the plant life in the area. And I know what salt can do to plants and it is not anything good. So let's start with how a beach is structured. There are different sections or layers of life here. First, we have the dune section or embryo dune. This is the dune closest to the ocean. These are usually very small sand dunes that form on washed up kelp or other organic material. This organic mush stuff is called rack. The kelp and the seaweed are pushed up onto the shore by waves and they carry many little critters like insects or crustaceans along with them that then become a food source for shorebirds. The rack itself can also be eaten by herbivores. Just like clover and dandelions are eaten on herbivores farther inland here in our lawns. As the rack sits there and starts to decompose, over time its nutrients are returned to the soil, becoming available then for other plants to use farther up. Occasionally, plants will be able to grow and thrive on these dunes and typically they have very, 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 very long, strong roots to be able to dig deep into the sandy soil. These plants are also able to survive even if their leaves become buried as sand washes over top of them. This is very different from inland forest trees that we may think of. If part of a tree trunk gets buried, 
This causes rot as the mulch or soil retains moisture and encourages bacterial growth around the trunk. This is a huge issue that I see in landscaping in many locations here farther inland. When I see mulch volcanoes that bury the tree of the trunk. This can cause girdling or roots to start wrapping around the tree, suffocating it. And again, retains moisture, which causes rot and encourages bacterial and fungal growth. It's a huge, big, bad problem, but with some of these beach plants, this is a special adaptation they have. If you have yuccas growing in your yard or live in the American Southwest or on these beaches where they grow native, you know how deep yucca roots can go. This is the same adaptation that these beach plants have. Beach plants, like the seagrass that sways gently in the wind, also tend to produce many seeds as their adaptation. This increases their chance of success and these seeds have the amazing ability to float. As the ocean waves pull the seeds away, push them back, pull them away, push them back, the seeds don't sink and instead wind up back on the beach where they can eventually germinate. Tall grasses are important for catching and holding on to sand as their many stems keep that sand in place. Think of them kind of as fingers of a hand grabbing onto the soil and holding it tight. The next layer or section of a sandy beach is called the fore dune. These sandy dunes get whipped around and change all the time as the wind blows the dry sand all over the place. The plants that live here tend to be more succulent or fleshy in nature than those that live in embryo dunes. They often have hairs that increase the surface area of their foliage, which helps them to retain moisture. Cacti, such as the native prickly pear cactus that grows along the beach, tend to stay very low to the ground and spread out in flat paddle-like shapes. When you're that low to the ground and the wind comes, you can't really get knocked over. You can't fall too far. The spines of the cacti also help to catch sand and hold on to it. In plants, cuticles are the outermost layers of the foliage, and that acts as a protectant and buffer from the outside world, from things like insect damage or sunburn or water loss. The thick cuticles of succulents and cacti help to retain whatever fresh water it can soak up from rains, groundwater, and runoff. In this foredune area, we also may, especially here on the East Coast, start to see nesting spots for birds known as piping plovers. These are currently endangered species, mainly due to the fact that their suitable habitat is shrinking as coastlines and dunes change. However, on beaches where these birds are found, we can quickly identify why they would live here in the sandy four dunes. They are truly a sand-colored bird they are this light whitish beige with small tiny flecks of dark color and black banding across the beak. This helps them camouflage into their sandy environment. 
They looked like tiny little fluffy poof balls of feathers, skipping up and down the beach as they searched for food. They liked to live in the sandier, less vegetated portion of the dunes because those are areas where their primary food source of small invertebrates live. These birds kind of will look as if they're actually eating the sand when really they're digging around below the surface of the sand quickly to find worms, insects, crustaceans like little crabs, and little tiny mollusks and shellfish. Then, after their meal, they quickly dash up to the vegetation behind their nesting site for some quick protection as they rest and clean themselves off. Not all of the four dunes lack vegetation. There's just some spots that are more suitable for the plovers than others. Some have beautiful plants like yarrow, sedges, and bindweeds. Have you ever noticed that these beach plants tend to be a light, bright green, or even almost a dusty green-gray, as opposed to the deep, glossy, super dark green of forest plants? This is because dark colors absorb more sunlight, which is why you get hotter when you wear a black t-shirt in the summer and why you shouldn't walk your dog on asphalt or roadways on hot days. Light colors reflect sunlight. While wearing white or walking on pale colored sidewalks in the summer, this can be a lot cooler since they are reflecting the light away from you rather than absorbing that light. The light greens and grayish color of beach plants helps prevent them from baking and getting burnt in the sunlight. Plants can get sunburnt too. Each portion of the beach has plant and animal life that is perfectly suited to that little microhabitat. And as you move farther back from the ocean, this plant life becomes even more diverse. These dunes, called back dunes have the ability to sustain a wider diversity of plants and are now stable enough, they're not getting whipped around by the wind constantly, so now they're able to have trees, shrubs, or other woody plants growing here. Along the New Jersey coastline, which is the one that I most commonly visit as someone who lives currently in Pennsylvania, there are several varieties of native evergreens such as pitch pines and eastern red cedars. There also may be shrubby native roses or blueberries, as well as smaller trees like sumacs and sassafras. As plants become more diverse and create habitat, animals can move in. These larger trees and shrubs, well, to be honest, they don't ever get to be super large, but they are large in comparison to seagrasses. I mean, anyway, these woody plants provide protection from animals from the wind, as well as provide food resources for numerous bird species. Different birds will feed on the seeds inside of cones. Foxes can create little dens now that their food source has moved in of birds or small mammals. And turtles can find denser plants to make nests in. Small mammals and reptiles might be able to find shade from the hot sun. So this edge place of the back dune has a wealth of biodiversity, not just of plants, 
but of animals too. Right now, the biggest threat to a healthy beach ecosystem is a couple of different things, but we're gonna focus on the three main ones. The first thing is beach grooming. This is when large trucks or vehicles drive along the beach with the whole goal in mind of to make it safer for people. And this is done by removing trash. As they move along, you might see them scraping along the beach kind of with what looks like rakes. In Atlantic City, I know that trash is a huge problem. You go to the beach and you find empty Dorito bags, you find old water bottles, you find all sorts of single-use plastics here. As these beach groomers come along, the beach is hypothetically made safer. Old trash can be a dynamic little city for all sorts of germs, bacteria, and mold growth, which really isn't all that healthy for the people that are coming to visit this beach and nor for the wildlife that accidentally ingests them and lives among the trash. However, these beach groomers flatten the sand which removes that life-giving and sustaining rack, preventing plants from germinating, ultimately destroying the habitat. And so the wildlife can't live here anyway, regardless of the presence of trash or not. Another big threat is, so number two here on my little list is coastal land development and urbanization. As people say that, hey, I'm gonna go get a beach house, move along the beach, enjoy this beach home, habitat is taken away. As we encroach upon the back dunes, that range between the ocean and the back dune shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Now all of those animals that live there, all of the plants that are supposed to provide that habitat are removed. And the third threat here is climate change. As sea levels rise, since ice caps are melting, causing more and colder water to flow into the ocean, these embryo dunes, which were the ones right up next to the ocean, get pushed farther and farther back. Yet there's not room enough for all of these dune layers, again, between the ocean and developed land, especially if developed land is starting to encroach upon the beach. As these beach ecosystems disappear, the threat of flooding increases, since if you remember back to those grasses that act as fingers and hold on to the sand or the cactus spines or these tall trees, as these plants aren't here to hold up and build the sand to create that quality barrier between the ocean and people, more floods can happen. And as tides come in, they can sweep more and more land away. Not only are humans impacted by this, especially during hurricane or storm seasons, but important marine and coastal animals are as well since their homes are disappearing. We may often hear about how animals like the little pi piping plover or sea turtles are impacted by this loss of habitat. Sea turtles will go up onto a beach, they will dig a hole, and then they'll lay their eggs 
in there and return to the ocean. They don't come back to check up on them or make sure that that nesting spot is still there. But hopefully the little turtles will hatch out and return to the ocean on their own. This is all fine and dandy and we love to watch the little sea turtles crawling their way back to the ocean. But there is a huge problem with this right now. And that's that the habitat is reduced. That beach area is occupied by people as we're hanging out on the beach. We're leaving our beach stuff there. The beach groomers are going over top of nesting area. That dune section just isn't there as the sea levels rise. Eventually, there's not going to be viable habitat for these turtles to even lay their eggs. And we'll see the sea turtle population plummet as they require those sandy beaches to lay eggs. Without that, they can't lay them. But don't get discouraged. During your beach trips this summer, you can protect these animals and their habitats mainly by staying out of those dune areas. This doesn't mean in any stretch of the imagination that I'm telling you to not go to beaches. I just am saying, don't climb up on the dunes. You don't want to squish germinating plants or disturb small birds that have made their home there. Taking your camera or binoculars is a great way to get a closer look at these dunes and explore them without tromping all over through it. Of course, visiting a beach is a great way to gain a new appreciation and deeper love for this ecosystem. And by respecting the habitat that you have entered, you can protect it and the wonderful natural world that we're a part of. Another way to help out at beach ecosystems is to pick up any trash that you see. Yeah, it's the whole thing where in elementary school, the teacher asks the kid to clean up the trash on the floor and they're like, I didn't put it there. And the teacher rolls their eyes and says to pick it up anyway. This is the same concept. We are all a part of this world and therefore need to be the best environmental stewards that we can be. Plastic, as we know, can get ingested by marine and coastal wildlife. There are things called nurdles, which are tiny pieces of plastic that float around in the ocean. These nurdles are kind of like a sheet of paper that instead of magically poof, you make the paper disappear, we just tear it up into a million little pieces. There's not less paper because we tore it up. We've just made one big piece broken up into smaller pieces. Now this means that so many more animals actually have the ability to accidentally ingest it. This is what happens to a lot of our plastics. They start out as these bigger pieces and over time get broken down, but not destroyed. Whales or other filter feeders that try to eat small, tiny little things like plankton accidentally will ingest these nurdles as well. By picking up trash along the beach and disposing of it properly, you can protect these animals way far out in the ocean that we may not even notice. Not only does it impact the plant and wildlife population, but plastic can also pile up. As it piles and piles and piles up, it creates that need for the beach groomers to come in 
drive up and down the beach harvesting and collecting that trash and smashing these dunes, smashing the rack. So to help plants and animals and people, because we don't want to deal with the trash either, just prevent the beach groomers from needing to come in the first place. Pick up any sort of trash that you see. While you're out celebrating the summer season, cooling off in the beach breeze, taking a relaxing stroll down the sand. Keep an eye out for these incredible plants that grow along the various dune lines and thank them for taking care of this ecosystem that you love. Can you identify where the various dunes start and end? It's pretty cool to watch how the wet sandy soil morphs into the dry sand that whips around and gets all over our towels and then rises up into a plant-filled dune. So for what it's earth, each person who can contribute and help out these sandy beaches is making a huge impact for the entire coastal ecosystem. With that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the art of ecology. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along to explore more of the wonderful ecosystems that we're a part of. For What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, check out my blog at www.theartofecology.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I will see you next time on For What It's Earth.